Cars on Call is a different car podcast. Two car guy physicians join noted automotive authority, Adams Hudson, to discuss car topics you won't find anywhere else. I'm Steve Schutz, and I've been publishing new car reviews for almost 30 years. Stefan Moran is a trauma surgeon who has published articles in the automotive safety literature and operated on countless car crash victims. And Adams Hudson is a now-retired successful businessman who has bought, sold, and owned over a hundred top-shelf enthusiast cars. Welcome to Cars on Call. Welcome to Cars on Call. I am Steve Schutz, along with trauma surgeon Stefan Moran and Adams Hudson, and we're back, and we're excited. And uh, I was under the impression that last week, Stefan, was our last poetry corner, but you said you have something to say about 401. I assume it's a poem. No, it's not a poem, but you know, it's like, oh, um, damn, uh, <laughs> down. Stop the know, Christian Horner is the gift that keeps on giving, you know, so they had the F1 awards dinner and, you know, the big deal to hand out the awards, the champion, all that. And little sixth grade queen bee spice girl wannabe Christian Horner <laughs> clashed with the FIA president, Mohammed Ben Sullivan. I'm not sure how you actually pronounced that, but Horner, you know. Horner just, he cannot, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with this dude. He, he had, he made all these snarky comments relating to the points at the Japanese Grand Prix, which is a little bit, it was a little bit messed up. And then he started being snarky about the bill that all the F1 teams get from Formula One. Well, so I am took issue to this. And so these two are kind of going tete-a-tete head to head. And the F1 CEO, Stefano Domenicali, had to actually kind of intervene and try to lighten up, but it was a very awkward moment at this giant awards banquet, Formula One being watched around the world. You know, and I, I got to ask myself, you know, what's wrong with Horner? Why does this dude always do this? You know, the, the little bitch. Well, <laughs> you know, maybe it's losing to Mercedes for seven consecutive drivers' titles and eight consecutive constructors' titles that give him he has a bad case of. Toto Wolfophrenia. I think that's the only thing that can explain with this guy. I just don't get it why he just he just can't be a, a decent person and it's just gotta be a whiny ass little bitch. Yeah, if he keeps this shut up, Stefan, you're gonna cease being his biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to sell your Christian Horner t-shirts. <laughs> He's just kind of like that tanker that's that burned and sank. Remember the gift that keeps on giving. I Felicity mean, Ace, man. The, he is the, he is our Felicity Ace, man, or at least mine. He's just he's just a thorn in my side. I just I wish he could be a little more. I don't know, a little more classically well behaved. But the only is, thing he, that would make this better for me, Stefan, is if uh, not only was Christian Horner married to a Spice Girl, but he drove a forerunner. That would really drive you crazy. That, that would be the end of it for me. Yeah. All right. What else we got? We can well, I got to say yeah. one thing just about etiquette and the attitude in the world. Let's go over this. This man is in, among the elite athletes in the world, looked up to by millions or could be or would be if he had any character. And he's at an awards dinner. Yes. This is like telling off the host when you are a guest. It's just, just you know, just the just the lack of, uh, of 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 style and character. I mean, you know, it's like the the Will Smith slap or the Kanye griping about uh, Taylor Swift's um, 
Emmy Award. It just it's just it's completely uncalled for. And people do not like witnessing it. And and just like Stefan's reaction to that, everybody thinks you're just a big, rich, spoiled brat. Yeah, well said, Adams. I forgot those are great comparisons. Yeah, it's just that's not the plate. I mean, he you know, he does it all year long. And at the awards banquet, just just keep your mouth shut. Yeah, yeah. He, he couldn't help himself. His true character came out. It's the time to bury the hatchet. It's it's being magnanimous in victory is something that we should all strive for, and that's not what we're seeing. Uh, I I did see a, a a short clip of that, and yeah, he was not magnanimous in victory. It's a shame. So, um, moving on, we do have to talk about something, and, and I think this is going to be like the Felicity Ace, uh, something that we talk about a lot because it's going to just keep on coming up. Uh, Stefan. You drove the Polestar 2 a few weeks ago in Laguna Beach, California. You liked it. You talked about it. Well, Polestar is in the news, and they have decided that they are going to start charging for performance. And we talked about this with Mercedes. I guess the good news is that they're not charging by the month. It's a one-time fee, but they're going to be charging, Stefan, $1,200, well, yeah, $1,200, $1,195 for 68 extra horsepower. It's a one-time fee. But for 68 extra horsepower in the Polestar 2, that's what you have to, to say. I, I, maybe I'll start with you, Adam, because I know what Stefan thinks. But I'm irritated, and I'm I'm probably mostly irritated because we're going to see more of this. Well, you know, I, I, I may be taking the mildly contrarian view here. I really, really dislike that rent-a-horsepower thing that Mercedes is trying to do, where you really never even own the horsepower if you don't keep paying your bill. But I, I'll, I'll give um, Polestar and Volvo an out here because if you're paying twelve hundred bucks for sixty-eight horsepower, you could gladly go over to Porsche and pay eighteen grand for twenty-four horsepower to get a GTX. <laughs> <laughs> so by that comparison, it's a decent deal. And you know, I mean, you know, we could go all the way back to the ranks of the the entry-level model with the six-cylinder to the upgraded model with the V8, et cetera, et cetera. And you're just going to pay on up the ladder. So, or twelve hundred bucks for sixty-eight horsepower, I'm going to call that a minor bargain. I think I like your viewpoint, Adams. Um, I get it, but I think I guess the hard thing I'm having hard wrapping my head around is that software as an option, and clearly that's what this is. This is software upgrade, and I, I'm having a hard time because the hardware is there and it can do all that. They just have to give you a software key, and. I think, you know, I understand a software key when you go, when they beg to do upload and to be autonomous driving one day and all that. But I think a little bit of horsepower, like 68, that's just like somebody, some kid writing code for Polestar figured out and deleted a couple X's to O's and Y's to spaces. And oh, boom, hey, we got six, eight more horsepower. It's not like they're slapping a bigger electric motor in it. So I, I think, but, you know, down the road is going to be, that's just the way it is. But I, I think if it, if they're just modifying the hardware with software, it bugs me. But you know, it probably doesn't bug the young people that listen to our our podcast. But honestly, that car doesn't need six feet more horsepower anyway on the dual motor car. It's got plenty. But yeah, I will say that you know I made this point when we were talking about Porsche, and of course Adams is right. I mean, they they charge a hell of a lot more at Porsche for uh, fewer horsepower, but. Where it makes sense to me is like a 10-year-old, you know, pre-turbo 911s, it was a 3.4 liter engine versus 3.8. You get a bigger engine, you get more power. Or they tune it. 
um, this is different. This is just code. And it, the engineers are not making an extra effort. They're not staying up at night trying to, you know, decrease the, the uh, uh, what's the word for, ex, you know, to make the exhaust more efficient so that, you know, backflow. Increase decrease boost back, and backflow. Backflow. And, and they're not doing any any work. They're just, it's just a quick tweak that, that a, a software engineer is doing. So I don't like it for that reason. But yeah, Adams, you have a point. It's not that much money, really. And it's a lot of power. Well, I, I get it, though. You guys look at, like, what is it? It's a chip. You know, it's, it's, it's code, like you said. But, you know, so is, you know, Apple. When you walk in the Apple store, they charge you more for memory. They charge you more for speed. And God help you if you want the white case. Yeah, but, but hardware, <laughs> but speed, speed and memory is actually a hardware change. I just got my iPhone updated today. Zero charge. Okay. And my laptop got upgraded as well. Zero charge for software. You know, because they buy in, but it's not, if, if it was a hardware, a bigger rotor, I'd be all about it. But, you know, I do like, it, it is more palatable to me that you have the option to pay up front and be done with it. But if you own the car for five years and you're paying a hundred bucks a month over five years, that's ridiculous. That is. Life, for a simple piece of code. Well, I think what Polestar needs to do with people who, who feel like that is just create some sort of placebo piece of aluminum hardware that they bolt to the side of <laughs> To make Another, it sure they have actually done something other than, like you said, just the code. I like that. I think it's, that's pretty funny. I'm afraid. Um, I'm afraid the youth is going to willingly pay it and move on. Yeah, you know, I I, I had never thought of that, Adams. Uh, maybe you put like an M badge on when you know you pay the twelve hundred bucks, you get a little badge on the outside that says, "Hey, I got more power." Who knows? Maybe that would make it worth worth <laughs> worth more. That's a good point. You know, moving on to a different type of uh, electric vehicle thing. People I talk to say, Steve, you know, you're anti-electric vehicle, which I absolutely am not. Stefan, you've driven the Polestar. I've driven the Tesla Model 3. Uh, I was very impressed with that. And I know you were impressed with the Polestar. So, you know, neither nobody on this show is anti-BEV. But somebody, I think, has to just kind of go against the complete lack of any skepticism uh, when it comes to a lot of the media today, you know, everything about battery electric vehicles is always positive and no one really talks much about, there are some real significant challenges here. We're going to get there. It's going to be great, but there are challenges. I was very happy when the wall street journal talked about these two women that drove from uh, Louisiana to Chicago and had all kinds of trouble with the infrastructure and charging. That's reality. And we have to talk about that. Well, there's another reality that nobody's talking about hardly. and Tyler Hoover of Hoobie's Garage, very popular enthusiast uh, YouTube channel. He six months ago bought a brand new Ford F-150 Lightning, full electric battery electric vehicle, and he sold it. And the reason he sold it was he said, hey, I live in Kansas. It gets cold. And when the temperature in Kansas is in the 30s, I found that I was getting 50% of what the what the Ford F-150 said I was going to get. And it, by the way, they, they, they actually uh, account for temperature. So he lost 50% of range when it was in the 30s. That's a challenge. It is. I actually watched that episode last night, and I like him. He's a credible and pretty entertaining guy. But, yeah, he's, you know, he's got a great point. And I think some of, the, some of the tips in the owner's manual were like, well, when you go to charge it, uh, make sure you stand outside the car. Uh, don't turn on the heater. You know, turn everything off so you're just super uncomfortable, you know, charging it in 30-degree temperature without the heat on 
in order to speed up the charging and or the reserves. I, I, I did not know that. I'm not I'm by some measure the least technically savvy person on this podcast, but I did not realize that cold temperatures uh, were such a, a storage hog. I did not realize that that's what they started eating into the, your, your reserves. I think another thing that, that comes up is the lithium storage or excuse me, just the lithium shortage as a as an item is something we'll be facing and the prices of that, you know, the ups and downs of that, along with battery disposal, which I realize is not part of the Polestar discussion or just having a decent infrastructure. But I think those are problems we'll be facing. Yeah, you know, the big proponents, you know, California pushing electric vehicles and, you know, Southern California, it's great there. But when you get out in the real world, it's like Jack Roush said and during the interview, and I mentioned, he said, the last thing you want to be do is foraging for electricity. And in addition to that, you know, the reality of the climate where you live with a battery is a big deal. Um, you know, it's an electrical reaction has to occur. And when they're cold, the batteries, they just don't discharge. They don't charge well and they don't discharge well because the molecules are cold and they're not they're not able to basically spin as much. So it is a challenge. And, you know, I, that bring, I, I should have thought, and when you, you brought this up, Steve, I should have seen what Norway's experience is with EVs because they have a huge percent of EVs in Norway. And I haven't seen much in the literature about that. I'm going to search for that. But you're right. It's the reality of same thing if you tow with a truck. Interestingly, tomorrow I'm going to be driving a Rivian. One of my former partners uh, bought the Rivian. He just got it delivered. And he's coming by on his way home. He did a little locum's work. And he's going to um, come by tomorrow, and I'm going to get to drive it. And he he described it as a 7,000-pound rocket. And, you know, you mentioned thinking about the uh, other implications, which nobody will talk about, and that is the aggressivity of bringing the weight to the game you know 500 to a thousand pounds a minimum more for an ev versus a vehicle of the same size class with internal combustion engine and i think we're going to see eventually we'll see that flip in the curve in the u.s where we, which we had with suvs and trucks when they started outselling cars that the fatality rates went up in cars um i think you know the last thing you want to get hit by is any ev if you get hit in the side by an ev I mean that that's going to be that's going to be bad for you and your occupants of your vehicle, and even head-on is going to be bad because they weigh so much more than you. You're at a huge disadvantage. So it's like it's like having more F three fifty dualies out there driving around is basically what it is. Well, let me just say that um, I was gratified. You know, th these are challenges that will be overcome, but it's going to take time, and it's going to take a lot of engineering and time. I do uh, also appreciate Adam's point about especially these these rare earth metals or any kind of metal, these minerals that are required, uh, you know, it's supply and demand and you've got to go get them and it takes money to get that. So they're going to be more expensive. I was really gratified last week, uh, Jim Farley, who's, you know, becoming my favorite CEO of OEM. Uh, he was interviewed by Automotive News and he said, he goes, we are going to continue to make internal combustion engines. He goes, our internal combustion engine business is actually going to grow over the next 10 years. And he said, he said, I'm very in favor of electric cars. The Mustang, he talked about the Mustang Mach-E and of course the Lightning. But he said, you have to be realistic about it. He goes, he goes, a rancher, he's, he, this is what he said, a rancher driving across Wyoming with a trailer does not need an electric vehicle. And uh, I appreciated that. Well, you know, I just, this weekend, Steve-O and Adams, uh, Ellen and I did an art show in Birmingham and I had a 10-foot trailer behind my truck. 
and I had to drive back and forth and could have never done an EV. There's nowhere to charge where we did the show. And yeah, internal combustion engines are not going away by any stretch of the imagination. And they've continued to get cleaner and better, but there is a reality. Like you said, it's, it's almost like a, there's this unicorn belief about EVs that they're absolutely perfect, going to save the world. You know, they fart sprinkles or whatever those things do. <laughs> so, yeah. and, you know, I think that the public and the worldwide just has this view of that of EVs, which is completely false when you look at the whole beginning to end life cycle carbon footprint of an ev but eventually one day who knows well i remember reading years ago and i, w I wish i could quote the source it would, it would be more credible but the truth of the matter is that the, the gist of the story was that um when you look at an ev um all the wiring that goes into it the the, the battery system the the regenerative drive recharging system all that it takes to build that vehicle by the time it finally gets on the boat and heads over here and gets off the boat provided it's a European-made car, it has already polluted 40,000 miles of an internal combustion engine car, uh, an average uh, ICE car. So 40,000 miles of, it, of its pollutants have already been spent by the time you're the first driver, uh, right. which is really remarkable. And I think I think on the other, the, the back end of that, I think we've, we've all touched on it, the whole seeking of lithium and getting rid of the batteries i mean these are these are not benign little things that you can crush up or you know feed to the spotted owls i mean the whole non-polluting aspect of this is going to come to roost when we try to get rid of the batteries i suspect uh that that the seek or the the solution for that is going to be recycling batteries uh volkswagen uh, has already said we want to sell all these BEVs and we want to own the battery. So in other words, we want we want to get those batteries back at the end of the life of that car or in the middle of the life, if they have to be replaced, we want to give you a new battery uh, and keep the old one. So recycling is probably part of the solution, but yeah, it's it, it, we're, we're figuring this out. Why do we, why do we act like, yeah, it's going to happen in five or 10 years. It's Stefan's right. It's like, it's not going to be 10 years. It's going to be a long thing. Why are we pretending like it's going to happen overnight? Why don't we just say, hey, we're going to get there, but we have challenges and they have to be overcome. And let's not just, you know, let's not act like it has to happen overnight. It it, it doesn't. Uh, but let's face it. I think, Stefan, it, can I summarize you by saying it takes time to fart sprinkles? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I've never heard of someone saying farted sprinkles. So anyway, uh I think they made rainbows, but uh <laughs> or glitter. Maybe I think they fart glitter actually is what they do. I'm not maybe it's glitter instead of sprinkles. I was trying to think what it was. Either way, they're all just such happy thoughts. Yes, happy thoughts. <laughs> all right. We have a, a happy thing we're gonna talk about soon. But before we get to that. There's a little bit of news I found very interesting. I want to get your guys' take on it. Argo AI is an autonomous vehicle uh, startup, and this is a very well-funded startup, and it just went under. It went bankrupt. Uh, it had a lot of money from Ford, Volkswagen, I think Amazon. They had they were very well-funded to the tune of you know over a billion dollars. And, and Bitcoin? Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, I think it was billions of dollars, but anyway, it just okay. went under. And uh, they then they shut down, and then Audi almost at the same time, maybe like a week later, Audi has been touting this this project called Artemis, and it's their own their own internal 
autonomous vehicle software program and they shut that down. And I read uh, something really interesting, and this is going to blow everyone's mind. According to McKinsey, uh, the consulting firm, over the past 10 years, uh, collectively, the world has spent $160 billion on autonomous driving. And I'm not sure we're much closer than we ever have been. Stefano, is the is the only solution or is the only outcome of $160 billion a better ADAS system? Wow, you know, that's that's impressive to think that that money should, money much money has been spent on autonomous driving and in America's our fatalities are going up. And that's going to segue us into my safety topic is why is America falling behind in our pedestrian, cyclists, and automotive deaths compared to the rest of the um, world? I mentioned this previously in a previously in another podcast. We're going to go a little bit more in depth on it tonight, but you know, this whole it's it's everybody's looking for the saving, you know, the big the big one, the big moment for this. And people got all on board autonomous driving. But you have to have the proper infrastructure for autonomous driving to be effective. And if you look at our roadways, highways, backcountry roads, they're not ready. Our infrastructure is not ready for this. You know, I still think that in Europe has got it right, especially in Germany, where there are segments of interstate designed for autonomous driving. That's perfect. A train goes on tracks. An autonomous vehicle drives on basically electronic track diagram that the car follows. But to think that you can switch on autonomous driving, I jump off highway interstate 22 going down inter 41 to my back road. No way in hell. And you know, the idea that you also got to keep your hands on the wheel. If you keep your hands on the wheel, why do anything? So I, I think autonomous driving is a attempt at an intellectual excuse to just changing behavior and making our highways and roads safer. And we've we have always searched for the holy grail, and vehicles are so safe now. But let's step back and let's look at our infrastructure, our roads, and drivers behind the wheels instead of now looking for the holy grail of autonomous driving. So I'm not surprised. And you think about what a monumental task it would be to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Very well said, Stefan. And obviously uh, informed by your trauma surgeon experience, fix the infrastructure, fix the roads, all these bridge abutments or whatever that you run into and you can you know really get hurt. I like that. Hey, um, there's a listener question we got a while ago, and it's right up Adam's alley, and I wanted him to kind of address it. The listener question is from Jerry B. So, Adams, tell us the question and, and go yeah. into this. This is this is good. Gladly. Um, let's see. Yeah, we we had a um, had a guy Jerry B. had a question. Uh, he says, "Hey guys, I really enjoyed the podcast, and it's clear that Adams is everyone's favorite. <laughs> <laughs> the new boy, the new kid on the block." Yeah, uh, actually, that part might have been in my handwriting, but he goes on to say, "It's probably true." I hear you guys speak of various topics covering cars through the ages, so I wondered if you could touch on car ads through the ages. And I thought that was a, a great question. Appreciate you forwarding that to me. And I kind of wish Jerry had sent in some of his own picks. I mean, that would have been awesome just to see what other people sort of pay attention to. But since he did not, uh, Jerry, you're going to have to listen to ours. Um, so. I got to looking back that, you know, we, us especially, we, we've had a bunch of years of looking at car ads, you know, and it was print and television and radio and billboard. And that's come all obviously all, all on the Internet. And 
And it's just, it's great to watch how people are sort of tugging at the heartstrings of, of, of trying to get you to part with some serious dough in the showroom. And we want to highlight some of the winners and the losers, plus, you know, the, mainly the ones that, that just uh, had an impact on us. Now, I'm going to go into this topic just a little bit since I spent about 20 years in marketing and advertising, and I was focused on the subset of what they call direct response advertising, which is like the smallest part, but it's kind of the part where um, somebody does something. Someone is asked to take an action, but there are many ads out there that are just to educate or to humor or to build image or maybe just remind you that they exist. I mean, when you think about something like something is like prevalent is maybe, you know, Coca-Cola. I mean, Coca-Cola does not need to tell us what's in it, what it looks like, what it tastes like. They don't need to tell us where to get it, but they just remind us daily that they're there for consumption. It's just a reminder. And they've done that for the last 125 years of market dominance. So car advertising just has to exist to let people know that they're there. But in particular, car advertising uh, seems to be selling either the company, the car, the lifestyle that they hope that you want and if you think like in the, the lifestyle that would be the hardest to sell by far because you could talk about a product all day long you talk about the benefits but when you sell the lifestyle but when you think about like jeep or something all the ads you know the happy rugged healthy couple they're seeking the off-road adventure they've got some wet dog in the back seat they're eating trail mix all weekend long and they're having a big time Yet Mark Allen, I looked online, Mark Allen, uh, head of Jeep Design, told ABC News that only 10 to 15 percent of Wrangler owners ever take their vehicles off road. And so those folks are investing in a lifestyle. It's kind of like touting 190 mile an hour top speed in the world of 70 mile an hour speed limits. So before I get into my three uh, picks of rather good ads, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go on to, to the panel here and see what you guys came up with. I did want to just say the number one sin of any ad in any medium for any type or prospect is just don't be boring. And if you're boring about something you're trying to get people excited about, you know, you just committed a crime there. So one of the ones that popped into my head immediately, and this would be interesting because I'm not a truck guy, but it was Chevrolet's 1990 campaign, Like a Rock. Where they used Bob's figures. Remember, remember that? That's on my list of best ones. It's on That's my on list. My list is the worst one. Like what? a rock. Like a freaking rock. Oh, yeah. I mean, give me what I don't want anything that's like a rock. I thought they I were mean, great. A rock, oh, I, thought I thought they were great. Stupid. I thought they were great too, because <laughs> the rock, it's like rugged reliability stuff on. I mean, hold nah. Plus the Bob Seeker song is a good song. Um, the song's what? a good song, yeah. Working What's for peanuts. He's from Detroit. He wears blue jeans. Okay, I mean, or did? Um, well, but, I'd rather but, have a. I'd rather have a truck built Ford Tough any day than built like a rock. But those, you know, yeah, Adam, to Adams, to Adams, to Adams' point, those like a rock uh, ads always had the Chevy trucks in the mud, going over rocks, stuff that no truck <laughs> truck truck buyer would ever do. And then it, it was slow motion in the music. I thought they were brilliant. I would be towing a locomotive up a hill. I mean, it'd be super cool stuff. I can't wait to hear Stefan's counterpoint on that. And then I also enjoyed greatly the innovative car ads by Honda back in, let's see, around the early 2000s. They had one called The Cog. Which You've stolen all my ideas here. Oh, well, I, <laughs> did you hate that one too or did you like that one? 
That one absolutely fascinated me because I, I like to fix things. I mean, you know, I call it, we call it M as a trauma surgeon, you have to MSU it. You got to make shit up because nobody breaks the same way. And, you know, so Honda disassembled an Accord, then reassembled it as a Rube Goldberg machine. And it absolutely is captivating and fascinates me. I love that. That's, that's probably my all-time favorite TV ad. Man, it's interesting. It's funny that we did not even discuss this in advance. We all kind of came up with these independently. And I so agree, man. You look at that. You cannot look away. You no, have to can't keep imp- looking at it. And without any dialogue, this is what's crazy. Their cleverness, their engineering prowess, their unique approach to problem solving, their creativity, and they don't brag one time to do it. It just like the point is delivered. So that's that's a fabulous one. I'm glad we agreed on that. I thought that was great. By the way. Uh, Stefan, I thought your favorite ad would be the 70s ad, early 70s. They had this obstacle course that went uphill and an F-150 did it. So it went up this thing and had a lot of bumps and it made it, it over rocks and it made it to the top. And then it turned around and it did it again, but they had put a, a Chevy pickup. They had balanced it on the back of it and it carried that up the, <laughs> up the rock hill. I thought that would be your favorite. <laughs> that, I do like that one. Um <laughs> Hey, anytime Ford's coming out on top, I'm happy. Yeah, I saw that. I, I could see right through that that rivalry veil. I knew that's why you didn't like that that like a rock campaign, which is fabulous, by the way. All right, the last one on my, on my good list, and we'll move move this off to your guys' picks. I really loved the VW uh, Think Small campaign of the '60s, uh, which was so beautifully done and so cleanly done. And if you look at like and I won't go off on this because I don't want to steal anyone's thunder about this particular brand. But you look at the, the minimalist approach that Porsche takes to their print and billboard and online advertising. They use a ton of white space. They're, they're emphatic about maybe a single photo. But VW is saying think small, which, of course, the contrary to thinking big, you know, and they're advertising in America. And we had big old fat cars all over the place. And VW comes out and they took this this different point and they had another one that followed up and it just it, the single word headline showing the VW bug featured front and center. The one word headline was lemon. Lemon. Yeah. Lemon. Yep. You remember that? Yep. It was awesome. They just talked about how one minor defect kept that car from being uh, sold. So I thought those were good, positive ideas, sort of humorous in their own way and entertaining. Excellent. Well, I'm going to start off with, remember this song by Buggles, the video killed the radio star. Now, now is DVR and streaming killed the TV ad. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, I I stream TV. Well, I don't stream because I don't, I don't have that kind of that kind of internet connection. But I do DVR, and I don't watch any commercials anymore. And it's going to be, you know, so I and I still do read magazines, which is a rarity. I mean, amongst the next generation, so, so it's going to be very interest interesting to see where advertisement goes. Still got billboards, but. There's two big ads that for me are the ones that 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 just really appealed to me at a gut level. And that's what I think what an ad has to do. And you remember we we've we've really loved on the Lexus and the LS four hundred. So they took a Lexus listeners and they put it on a dyno. And a dyno is a thing that you strap a car to and then just it fire you fire up the engine and the wheels turn against uh, bigger wheels and they measure how strong the engine. So it's called a dynamometer. And they did that and they stacked crystal glasses with champagne across the hood to show how smooth that engine was. And 
that just that to me appeal because it's Lexus. We already knew it was going to be something cool, special, and just maybe trying not to do the Germans. And that to me just put it all together. That that and that was just that was one of my very favorite TV ads. I had that one down too. Oh uh, wow! How about that? Look how how much this this general consensus once again not not pre discussed or anything. But Steph, I remember that ad. I can see it right now. I remember coming across that. Lexus did a great job of like informing people why their their engineering was different, why this car was worth what it was worth. You know, they were breaking through a, a sort of a glass ceiling that the Japanese car market had set for themselves. You know, that we were sort of budget entry level quasi throwaway cars. And pop, here comes Lexus. And at the same time, poor infinity on the absolute opposite end <laughs> of the spectrum is showing rocks and trees and a ra- rather ugly car that had a front grill badge that looked like a WWF belt buckle. I don't know what that was. <laughs> but Lexus killed them with that ad campaign. They did. Now, that that was, uh, that, those are my two favorites, that and the COG course. And then there's a print ad that is one of my all-time favorites. Of course, as the owner of a Miata, it's going to be the Miata ad that came out with the Gen 1 Miata, the NA. So listeners, it does. so this is a, a half-page print in the magazine. So it took up one full page on either left or the right side of the magazine. The bottom of it is a bright red uh, Miata, top-down. Someone's going around a corner. And there's two print. There's large print and small print. So the, the big print sticks out at you. And, so the big print says, before the spouse, the house, the kids, you get one chance. And then the small print says, there's something you should do before life hits you in the knees with 10 bags of groceries and the need for a garden hose. You should know how it feels to have the sun on your head and a growl at your back as you flick through five gears with no more baggage than a friend. This has been known since the beginning of cars which is why roadsters were invented, the Mazda Miata, the roadster returned. And I just thought that was a great ad. Sweet mother, I just got a tear in my eye. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that is fabulous copy. Good pick. Yeah, and I love it. It's got the large print, which brings you in, and then it's got the small print in between. And it's a great ad. Those, those, are my, those, are, those are my three, and you had the cog, of course, which was right up there. All right, Steve-O, what you got? Kind of related, uh, I got a couple of print ads, but it, it kind of related to the Mazda one, but maybe this is an older person, not maybe, this is definitely an older person. So this is a 1980s BMW 7 Series, and the the headline said, don't reward a lifetime of achievement with an underachieving car. Uh, the idea being that, you know, you've worked hard, you should get a nice car. It resonated with me, just like all of us, because we work hard and we have achieved and we put that into into uh, into cars uh, more than our if family, our wives let us more than our, more than our wives would appreciate. <laughs> so we get in the knees with ten bags of groceries. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. That yeah, I, that's a really good. That's a really well written uh, ad, Stefan. I, I agree. Oh, I, I also wrote down Adam's ad about or the the Volkswagen ad campaign from the 60s a couple of the lines it's ugly but it gets you there live below your means those were other headlines from the same ad campaign so I like that there was a like this is an well this I don't know if it's obnoxious or not but it's my favorite print ad in the automotive world and it's and it's Porsche the 993 turbo it's in arena red uh Adams knows what we're talking about because you remember we talked about it earlier but 
uh, kills bugs fast. <laughs> Beautiful. Just so good, so clean, so clear. Brings a smile to your face. It's almost as much as you need to say. There's not a whole lot of other supporting copy with that. That's fabulous. And yeah. should all, but for the earlier term, it should have also said, we'll scare the shit out of you. Um, I mean, <laughs> I drove one of those 930s and it was a, it was almost, it was a frightening experience. It was exhilarating, but boy, the, the line between killing bugs fast or yourself is a fine line. Broken <laughs> by the trauma surgeon. So, exactly. um, I, you know, as I said, I also had the, the LS 400 ads. They had a, other ads too, uh, that were very smart. One, I remember very vividly, uh, it showed somebody outside of a country club and these people were driving cars up. There was a Mercedes, there was a Cadillac, there was a Lincoln, there was a, probably a, a BMW and they all went by and the guys were talking to each other and the guy with the Mercedes, he goes, Oh, you know, that's a, that's a successful lawyer. And then the, the, the Cadillac, oh, that's a doctor. And then the, the Lexus comes along. And that one of the guy, he just looks at the other guy and goes, that guy's smart, very, very clever, just, you know, self-deprecating, but, but makes the point. But, uh, in addition to that, again, I, I really, really, I, I wrote down and I was excited to write down the like a rock campaign. Uh, but there are three ads that are recent and they really hit me. They came out of FCA via Chrysler. And one of them, you guys will remember this. And this, these are some of the best ads that I've ever seen. And they came out recently, 2013 Dodge Ram. So God made a farmer and they just had, what's the guy's name? Paul Harvey. They just had Paul Harvey reading. So God made a farmer and nothing else. It was black and white. And it went from farmer to farmer with their Dodge truck. Very moving. Uh, Super Bowl ad. Another ad that I thought was extremely moving was 75 years of Jeep. All those 75 years, and it's like a rap song almost, but you know, do it yourself because you want it done right. And you have World War II scenes and people driving Jeeps. Very, very moving. And my favorite one, my favorite TV ad, uh, Born of Fire. What do you know about Detroit? What does Detroit know about luxury? And then it had Eminem with the with the 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 black choir singing in this in this theater in Detroit incredibly moving yeah i remember those you're right they those were beautifully well done and they had to be done by the same ad agency but those were uh appealing moving uh deliver the message and wonderful ads god you guys are going to make me have to go look those up because they they're they hit on such a deep emotional level you know once again a lot of ads can skim across the surface and just sort of hope to attract you sort of quickly and then it's then it's over it's like popcorn but those are ads that you have you dwell on they, they resonate at a deeper chord level yeah adams i want to ask you this question because i thought of it when i what you know you're talking about people don't drive their jeeps off road that ad uh that i love so much everybody's off road <laughs> i mean practically yeah, of course. um and i'm selling wonder, a dream yeah i wonder how much number one how much of advertising is that is it more than we think and then the second question i want to ask you is and i read this years ago and how much of this is true i don't know a lot of ads are actually directed to people who already bought a vehicle or already bought a product to validate their purchase they, they've, they've already made how much of that happens I believe that that actually is true. I, I would say that, you know, that there's a decent chance it's 50-50 because prior to us even knowing what the word influencer meant, 
you know, before it became a popularized term online, you know, people who already had the Cadillac or already had the Lexus or already had the Jeep, they see the ad and they go, yeah, that's me. That's kind of me. I'm sort of like cool. And I'm sort of like um, I'm, I'm promoted a little bit within that ad, even though I'm not in the ad. It's my it, it, it was my choice to sort of be like that ad, whatever it's touting. And then they become the influencer. Oh, I understand you have a Jeep. What do you think about it? And so they're going to end up being, you know, their own best promoter of, of, of the brand. And how many times do you guys get asked your opinion on cars? Because they know you're you're studied, you're around it, you're exposed to it, you're interested in it. And whether you own it or not would be different for us. But I think a lot of times it is. It's probably 50-50. And there's so much of the carryover, uh, what they call either reflection or, or tail of the comment, if a brand is is um, known in racing, people who have no interest in racing feel cooler by that association. So they can, you know, they they can wear the Breitling watch, or they can uh, drink the uh, the Patron tequila. They can uh, drive a Ferrari. They can drive an Audi, and they they feel a little bit by association that they're about as good as that image that was touted. And I think Stefan sort of said it, summarizing: they're selling the dream. All right. Well, we got to move on. But before we do, Adams, what are your worst ads? I, didn't you say you had some bad ones? I got some bad ones. We could do a whole show on that. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm going to pick on on two and then we'll move on pretty quickly. I'll it, just it, say, before you get to the bad ones, I'll say one that's not bad. It's not good, but it's not bad. It's funny. Joe Izuzu in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He would lie about the car because you're to 60. Because you're 60 in three seconds, and the, 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 it would say underneath it with a jetpack, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I like that. I actually think it's funny you picked that exactly. It was like when we see a B movie and we know it's terrible, but we can't turn away. Yeah, I so thought Joe Isuzu was just a, a stroke of genius. I don't know how many Isuzu he sold, I don't, probably not many. What were your so what were your bad ones? Okay, I've got one, one bad one for sure. Is that like when you see people who were already successful, like Porsche? And they just do a killer good job or Mercedes or BMW or Lexus do a great job on top of their already great car. I can remember during the 1980s really wanting to sort of like see an Alfa Romeo as something that was appreciated. And, you know, in the 80s, they had like, what, two models in the U.S., maybe an Alphabeta and a, uh, uh, the Spider. And they were both not good. We won't go down that road too, too far. But they had an ad campaign that just showed an alpha spider with a dude and a lady the guy's in a white dinner jacket his ties kind of flying behind him the tops down he's sitting next to a lady who is also in evening attire inexplicably she's playing a violin <laughs> that happens all the time and they are in the surf they are driving on a beach you know there's water flowing like by the car they neither, Stefan, you'd, you'd have just screamed. They neither one have their seat belts on. Think how careless and drunk these people are. Anyway, and the whole ad said Alfisimo. And they said something about like it promotes the lifestyle. And I thought none of this makes any sense. There's not one congruent thought in that entire ad. And I thought it was triply sad because Alfa Romeo, of course, was suffering terribly. And then I'll pick on a new one. Do we have a minute left or no? Oh, yeah. We got time. Yeah, Go yeah, for oh, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I, well, I'm I'm a big fan of Sports Car Market magazine. I mean, I love that magazine. And, and th th this company advertises in there all the time, but they advertise in a lot of places. I see them at Amelia Island with the big display, whatever. It is the, the so-called new Allard 
you know, so you can get your, you know, remember the Allard of the 50s? and oh, yeah. And, and they, they were very su successful in racing. And they sold nearly 2,000 cars back then, which was not, not bad for sort of a garage effort. But they re... And whoever's listening to this, if an Allard guy's listening to this, this is going to be embarrassing for you, but I hope to heaven it's the medicine, bad-tasting medicine you need. They show that car that most people don't even remember when it was popular. I mean, think how long ago that was. And they have a photo of this car, which presumably is a bespoke car. You can pick the wheels and the motor and interior and all this other stuff. And, and they just show it. And all they have is a headline that says, rarely seen, never forgotten. They, they don't educate you on the car. There's nothing funny about it. They don't tell you even what it approximates it's a, as a competition. It's just all it says. And I'm just here to say that's the ad is so bad. It's going to be rarely seen and soon forgotten. So that's the end of that. Because never want, no one wants. I just looked at the picture of that. Oh, my God, it looks awful. What was those things that they converted the Lincoln Continental? What were those awful looking cars called? Oh, God. Oh, I remember I they had the fake chrome pipes coming out the sides and the fenders. And it was all done on a Lincoln Continental or a Cadillac. That's Stefan, that's the car from Animal House. Trying to be, wasn't a bear, studs bear cat, something else. But it, yeah, I looked at that Allard. Oh, yeah, rarely seen because yeah, no one wants one. That's why it's rarely Terrible. seen. We, we beg you, make them more rarely seen. Mm. Well, uh, Jerry B and anybody else who has other ads that they like, please send them in. And then before we, before we, before we move to Stefan and safety, I've got a soft spot in my heart for Dinah Shore and see the USA in your Chevrolet. I think that's cool. Stefan, you like, you like that better than the the rock? Absolutely. I mean, who doesn't love Dinah Shore, man? She, right. she was an icon of our younger listeners are going to like who, but yeah, she was a long time ago. Just we are old. She was a long time ago, but yeah, Dinah Shore is just one of those American sweetheart TV actresses, actors. And uh, yeah, it was the same ad agency. The see, see the USA and a Chevrolet and the Like a Rock and Heartbeat of America were all the same ad agency. Isn't wow. that amazing? I'll yeah, darned. Ninety-year relationship. Wow, I'll be that's, darned. That's great. All right. So anyway, send in your ads, and we'd love to see them. Just just uh, send them into our website. And and Stefan, safety. What do you got? So there was a great article in the New York Times just uh, right after Thanksgiving on the twenty-seventh of November, and it's titled The Exceptionally American Problem of Rising Roadway Deaths. And um, it's by Emily Badger and Alicia, I'm not sure I pronounced right, Party of Piano. But what's interesting is, for listeners that follow the podcast routinely, I mentioned a gentleman by the name of Leonard Evans, who back in 2011 published an article where he showed the graphs that we are not decreasing our fatalities on our roadways as we should as to other compared nations. We're in the bottom quartile in terms of our roadway deaths. And these um, these two young ladies picked up on this and they did research a nice article with some good graphs. But it shows that, you know, our deaths from road accidents per million vehicle is just terrible. I mean, we're way behind the other developed nations. And what's interesting is you know, this past decade, we've continued to diverge. You know, Leonard Evans published in 2011. And other countries, their traffic fatalities are falling. The question is, why Why is this happening in America? Why are we not continuing to go down in our deaths? Why is it not decreased? And in 2020, 
car travel plummeted around the world because of COVID, of course, and traffic fatalities fell as well. But in the U.S., the opposite happened. Travel declined and deaths went up. And, you know, the question is, why is this happening? And, of course, safety advocates are looking at it, governments are looking at it. But it goes back, and Jennifer Homendi of the National Transportation Safety Board said this. She said, you know, in the U.S., motor, motor vehicles are first, highways are first, everything else is an afterthought. And I think that's a great summation of, you know, we've had this incredible drive to make cars safer. We've made giant interstates, giant four-lane roads in urban communities with no crosswalks, no crossings, no sidewalks, no bicycle lanes. And what we've done in our infrastructure has made have made roads such that you want to go faster. Because if you see six lanes ahead of you, a six-lane road, and in a lot of urban places, you'll see an eight, three lanes on each side with a passing lane in the middle. Well, of course, you think the speed limit is going to be 75, 55, 35. I mean, you're going to be going way faster than you should. And, you know, in Tampa and Orlando that have had boom, booming growth, widespread adoption of the car down there, they've got some of the most dangerous roads in the country for cyclists and pedestrians. So it's just baked into our culture that our road started with highway. And we haven't done in the United States as they've done in Europe. And in Europe, it's called traffic calming. So you'll come into a town and the road just narrows down. They'll put a median right smack in the road and you've got it to a, 90, a, a tiny narrow lane, which you're going to slow down. We have not done that in America. But other developing countries around the world are doing that. They've pushed heavily on automatic braking systems, ADAS, Steve, you talked about, specifically ADAS for pedestrians. And they've also have changed the frontal area of the vehicle as well as the hoods to make the car less deadly for pedestrians have not done. There's nothing in our, in our federal motor vehicle safety standards to address this at all. So we're behind on that. So we're behind on our roads. We're behind on our cars because we're focusing on the driver. We're not focusing, focusing on those around the driver. And in the U S compared to other nations as well, the last two years, our cars have just gotten huge. I mean, I mentioned that in the last study showing how now SUVs and LTVs, or pass for um, the passenger vehicles. And, you know, we, I've, I mentioned that the um, NHTSA has the five-star federal safety rating, but there's nothing in that rating that addresses pedestrian or cyclist safety either. So you can't look at a vehicle. If you're concerned about that, you, that doesn't exist in America. And me being French, my mother being French, so making me Franco-American chef for D. Um, <laughs> if you look at U.S. and France, in the 90s, we had similar per capita fatality rates. Today, Americans are three times as likely to die in a traffic crash as the French. We, we need a mindset change in this country. And there was a little bit this last year, the infrastructure bill that passed. Um, there is more federal money for pedestrian and cycling infrastructure. And then states that are identified to be outside of the norm that have They've set a standard where if you have more fatalities for pedestrians and cyclists, that you have to spend that money towards fixing that potential problem. So it's not gathering a lot of steam, but it is starting, and hopefully we'll see more of it. Stefan, you bring up a, a just you know so many good points during this. I mean, it's something that I don't really drive around 
or even walk around thinking about, but you bring up these points, and so like they all kind of come out simultaneously, at least in, in my now sort of digesting of it. What do you think happened in the U.S. versus European countries that when our mileage went down, our road traveled miles went down, the pedestrian deaths went up? Is it a distraction issue, which people always love to sort of pick on that as a smoking gun? Or do you really think it was the, the calming, like you said they do in, in Europe? I think it's two things. I think, one, even though our driving went down, think about it, you know, as fewer vehicles on the road, people are going to go even faster now. So they're going to pay less attention, more likely to strike a pedestrian or a cyclist because um, we don't have any traffic calming whatsoever. And a lot of it is felt to do with that, that speed and the way our infrastructure is designed, that you're just not, you've never been cognizant of pedestrians and cyclists and more people were probably out and about prior to um, COVID. More people just want to get some exercise and especially in big cities. And then the other thing that happened is once COVID went away, and people started getting back to work, people didn't change their behavior and their driving. And we've seen an increase in pedestrian, people walking and, and using alternative means of travel. And cities are putting up bicycle lanes, but drivers aren't used to it and they're not changing their, their pattern. And I mentioned a, a podcast we had a while ago that I saw a cycling lane put up in Birmingham and Homewood. And it's on your classic four-lane urban road that goes to the city with a passing lane in the middle. And they threw a cycling lane on each side of that road with no calming. I mean, I'm like, there's no way in hell I would ride my bicycle on that because there's, you need medians, you need lights that show pedestrians and cyclists. And anyone who's been to Europe had been fortunate to go there. When you go there, start looking at the roundabouts, look at all this traffic calming and how people are cognizant of pedestrians. But in America, we just have not been cognizant of pedestrians and just don't pay attention to them. Hey, Stefan, yeah. to follow up on Adam's point, which is why when we were both uh, Europe and, and we were faced with a pandemic and our, our mileage you know went down and their mileage went down, we had more fatalities and they had fewer. What, what do you think? Is it something about the American psyche that that is just much more risk-taking. You know, I, I know for myself, when I was locked down, I was locked down. I really didn't do much. But uh, I do know that it was during the lockdown that somebody, a couple guys, instantly thought, well, this is a good time to set the record for driving across country. They did it in like 25 hours and like 20 minutes or something, averaging, averaging across the country from New York to LA, 112 miles an hour. Including stops for gas. So, is is risk taking behavior? Uh, do we have more of it than the Europeans? Uh, absolutely, and I think the easiest way to to surmise that is how long did it take for Mercedes Benz to put a cup holder in their vehicles that they brought to the U.S.? I mean, you know, in the U.S., you know, people want their big gulp to, to slam it down a taco or an egg McMuffin while they're driving, putting their makeup on. You know, people reading. I mean, I don't. I just. You know, you watch drivers in this country in driving position, two hands on the steering wheel versus one, blinker usage. Um, you know, in Europe, I always remember getting the car with my uncles and my grandmother, my aunts. It was a serious issue getting in the car and driving. I mean, they were paying attention. They were operating the vehicle. Um, in America, I feel like people just jump in, boom, you know, 
kick the tires, light the fire, turn it on, and they just go and and we accept the high motor vehicle fatality rate. And what's crazy is we typically annually kill more people on our roads than we do in than the entire Vietnam War. Goodness. And ever and you know, and for the younger listeners, Vietnam War was, was a long time ago, but now it's but people they just there is something about, you know, the Model T started it. It is there is a sense of freedom and individuality and we learn we lose our collectivism as a nation worrying about others when we get behind the vehicle and um i guess that's part of the go west young man spirit in the wagon train we need a change in behavior and but i think we we really what the, what we need next is infrastructure change and people americans are going to hate traffic calming they're just going to despise it and they're going to raise hell and i bet you it won't get I, I bet you what just is not going to happen to the extent that Europe has done it. You know, it's interesting, Steph, you, you, you bringing that up. I remember being in Europe years ago and I was talking to a, a young man in Germany who was studying for his driver's license. And I said, you know, he spoke perfect English and, and I was talking to him. I said, so you're just going to go get your license today. And he looked at me stunned. His parents looked at me a little stunned. It was just like this 30 second stare down. He goes, no, I won't have it for another few months. And he had to take multiple tests, uh, multiple written tests, multiple actual tests, driving. And, you know, it, it, it was a whole different series. And, and my eyes were open to how seriously uh, the European um, driving standards are. And I don't know if that's every, every country in Europe. But, but it struck me at that moment that, you know, over there, it's like driving is a privilege. And here it's a right. And by God, if I can't get my driver's license in 30 minutes or less, you know, I'm going to be mad and I'm going to post something evil on social media. And this kind of halfway circles back. Once again, Stefan, you're launching all these simultaneous thoughts. We were talking about, you know, this whole autonomous driving thing. And to me, that chips away at people's skill set of driving just a little tiny bit at a time. And, you know, right now we've got adaptive crews. We've got lane change warnings. We've got auto braking. So you can kind of say, well, you know, if I take my eyes off of what I'm looking at, you know, my brake pedal is going to not smash into that car. Or if I have a, you know, a, a lane warning buzzer alarm, you know, it's, it's not going to let me hit that car next to me. And all this just chips away at paying attention. And I believe that's maybe a bit of the problem. I mean, I know Europe has the same exact cars that we do, but I do believe there's a whole big mindset shift of the cars got me. How smart do I need to be? Right. I agree. You made this a great point, Adams, that, you know, anti-lock brakes and we've evolved and now ADAS and all these things that take us and help make the panic situations not quite so panicky or damage causing or crash inducing. And I, you know, I do, it's a great point. I do worry. Will that make the future driver far more inattentive at times where they need to be attentive and then they won't have that skill set necessary for an evasive mover maneuver or to save someone's life uh, and i hope that's not the case but perhaps as we evolve in our infrastructure that the that there's areas where we do become less involved and the vehicle takes over and it would help with traffic and big traffic jams on interstates and things like that but you're right. It's a point where is when is more not better. And I think, you know, it's a good point. 
I like that. I like that thought that it could actually make drivers worse because we sure as hell don't need drivers that are less talented than the majority that we have out there on our roads right now. Yep. Amen. My first Eve being that um, every time I'm on the interstate, I have this bad habit of counting how many people are in the left lane who aren't passing versus how many are in the right lane. And honestly, I would say overall, look, I'm, I'm in Florida where, where several drivers on the interstate have been asleep for quite some time. People who are in the, there are more people in the left lane not passing than passing. You try that in Europe, you are getting pulled over or you're getting in a big old fiery wreck, which people kind of don't want to have happen. And you may have your license suspended. Right. And and over here, you know, it's it's the, the age of oblivion. They're just sort of like hanging out in the left lane on the eventuality. They might pass somebody in the next four or 500 miles. While you're out there counting people in left-hand lane, I'm counting forerunners. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, on that note, we are out of time, but uh, a, a great discussion. I hope Jerry B is happy with uh, our discussion of ads. And uh, Stefan, thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to echo what Adams uh, just said, but thank you so much for your expertise. It's great to hear, and I learn something every time. So thank you. Go ahead and close this out. We're done. Hey, thanks, Stephen Adams. Uh, another great discussion. Yeah, I really like these safety discussions. And Adam, some great points as well as you too, Steve-O, that this is a solution we all have to come to one collectively in this country, which is going to be difficult. But hopefully we can get some improvements in our infrastructure. So listeners, like, subscribe, tell all your friends, hit five stars, four stars, whatever there is on your listening. And uh, we'll see you next week.